Well, good morning and welcome. Well, welcome to you that are watching online from here in Chicago, other places around the world. I want you to know it's a beautiful snowy day here in Illinois. And I want to welcome all of you that have trucked through the snow to join us this morning. We pray every Sunday that God will use these services to bless you and to speak to you that you might fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, has come that we might have life. Now this morning, we are doing a new member recognition. The people that you see their pictures and names behind me have just gone through our Zoom new member class. And because we have to do things differently with this pandemic, I want you to know these are real people who really did just go through our uh, new members experience. And I want you to know that you can do that as well. If you would like to become a member, you can see the link in just a moment, or there it is. We are thrilled to welcome these new people into a family. We're really a family here, a large family at Wheaton Bible Church, and what a wonderful thing that is for us. So would you join me in affirming these new members? Let's, we love you guys and trust that God's gonna bless you here. Let me pray. Father, we come to you as a creator, ruler, sovereign king, and we bow before you in our hearts and we come today with all sorts of different issues going on in our lives and the lives around us, good things and <clears throat> too often really bad things. We need you by your spirit to open our eyes, to give us ears that hear, eyes that see. And we ask that you would do this as we worship. How important it is for us to worship. And then as we look into your word, so we give this to you. We give ourselves and our hearts to you. Now, God, be glorified as we love you more. Amen. Amen. Welcome, church. Would you stand with us? Welcome to those online. Join us in worshiping the Lord together this morning. How good it is to be the church, to be a family of the Lord, the family of God. And at worship, let me remind you before we read this text called us to worship, worship is first an invitation before it is something we do. It is something we, re we respond. The act of true worship is a response to a gracious, loving invitation from our Father through His Son. And so if you're struggling this morning, if you're wrestling with things, if you feel weak, if you feel far away, before you try to do anything, I'm gonna invite you to open your heart, to open your hands to the Lord, and to rely not on your own striving, but on Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's from Him and through Him and for Him. So trust Him, grab His hand, and let him lead you to worship. So hear the words from the author of Hebrews when he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are. Yet he did not sin. He is a perfect offering. He's a perfect high priest. So let us then approach God's throne of grace, not, of, not being afraid, but with confidence, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you needy today? Come to him, grab his hand, bring it to him. Let's worship Jesus, the name above all names, our high priest who carried our shame and bring, he brings us to God. So let's sing to him this morning. We love you, Lord. We worship Cross, and he laid down his life and he did what he said 
His promises. Same Jesus, same Jesus. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Still keeping all His promises. The same Jesus, the same As our song this morning, this is the truth. And we lift this with one voice. Come on, church, as we call upon his name today. Sing it out. I will call upon the Lord, for he alone is strong enough to save. Rise, your shackles are no more. For Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Yes, he has. Need no other hiding place. And our hope is safe within your name. This we know. This we know. Promise never to forsake. Yes. What you begin, you will sustain. This we know. This we know. So we sing it out. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. See it. Your shackles are no more For Jesus Christ Has broken every chain All of the heavens and the earth Announce the fullness of your worth And this we Every enemy will flee 
church, and that is what we declare this morning, that in the name of Jesus, chains are broken, that in the name of Jesus, we are free. It's in the name of Jesus that we call on his name and grace washes over us. Amen, church, so we sing this out. This is our declaration. Come on, we lift this up in faith. We sing Jesus' name. In Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. We sing Jesus' name above every other. All hail the power of Jesus' name. We sing Jesus' name will break every stronghold. that today rise your shackles are no more for Jesus Christ has broken every and adore who calls us who invites us into relationship with him we worship him for he is great he is mighty God would you read this verse with me this is from first Chronicles let's read this together praise be to you Lord the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you were exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And now, our God, we give thanks and we praise your glorious name. We worship you, Jesus. You are worthy of all honor and praise. May you be glorified in this place today.
glory And I stand in need of His grace
you for you are a loving God. We worship you because you are worthy of our praise. And so Lord, as we as we stand in your presence, God, may we be overcome by your love and your grace. And may we know May we know the power and strength that is in your name. And we love you, Lord, because you loved us first. All honor and glory and praise be yours. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. I have uh, two very special recognitions for us this morning as we continue in worship. Um, because today we join with churches all around the country in celebrating Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And tomorrow we join with churches around the country to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So we as a church believe uh, these are not uh, days that flow from different theologies. These days are incredibly important because of what they represent about God's heart for his church and his world. These days um, remind us that all humanity is created in the image of God. That every human being at every stage and age of life and of every race, color, and ethnicity has inherent value, beauty, and dignity. We believe this because we find uh, throughout God's word, his value and his image in the life of every human being. From the first pages of scripture, Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28, we read that humanity is created in the image of God. The most foundational definition of beauty and worth. 
King David in Psalm 139 praises God and says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And in Matthew 22, Jesus reminds us that the overflow of the greatest commandment to love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the overflow of that is to love our neighbor as ourself because the image of God is in our neighbor. And then in some of the final pages of scripture, we read in Revelation 7, 9, one of the most glorious visions and pictures of heaven, that before the throne of God, there is a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God and worshiping. The image of God shows up everywhere, amen? So we as a church this morning in recognizing the sanctity of human life declare again, we stand for the unborn and the image of God in the unborn. So we stand against the practice of abortion while also standing for life. For women, for expectant mothers and parents, families dealing with unplanned pregnancies, maybe not knowing where to turn. And so we therefore long and pray that we would be a church where women and families in crisis would find connection, would find hope, would find resources. And we want you to know if you are here today and if you have had an abortion, God is for you, our church is for you, and we pray that here you find care, community recovery, and the hope and healing that God has in life with him. But the image of God, as we've been saying, doesn't just stop in the womb. We believe there is inherent dignity, value, and beauty in all of human life. And so tomorrow, as we recognize Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we declare as a church that we stand with and for our black brothers and sisters. And for people of all colors, races, and ethnicities in seeing the dignity, beauty, and value of human life that is revealed in God's awe-inspiring creativity. This is why we as a church stand against racism in every form, personal and systemic, as it degrades and does not acknowledge or celebrate the image of God in one another. And so this morning we long and we cry out to God for his help and guidance in growing as a church that seeks his heavenly vision of reconciliation, of justice, of restoration, of love and understanding for one another that can only come from our creator. And in our belief in the beauty of all life, we stand for the vulnerable and under-resourced. We stand for the immigrant and refugee, the orphan, the widow, our neighbors, among us. And we pray that God would continuously give us his heart to show the welcome and the hospitality and the generosity that he has shown us. Amen, church? And so this morning, I want you to know that certainly we, we make our statement of belief, but God has given us some incredible partners and opportunities both locally and around the world to live out these beliefs. When we think of Puente del Pueblo and outreach community ministries serving alongside our under-resourced neighbors, Caring Network serving alongside families dealing with unplanned pregnancies, 
the Gospel Justice Initiative, offering legal aid and help, World Relief, serving alongside immigrants and refugees, the list goes on and on. If you want to explore opportunities to give to these partners or serve alongside them, you can find a full list of many more at wheatonbible.org volunteer. But before we pray today, I just want to ask that you would consider, or would you consider, giving today or setting up a recurring gift because the continued and ongoing generosity from you, God's people, is supporting, seeing, and celebrating his image both here in our communities and around the world. So church, let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Father God, we, we need you. Lord, we need your strength, we need your courage, we need your voice. And so today as we reflect on the sanctity of human life, we ask for your voice to speak up for all who cannot speak for themselves. We pray for your protection over the unborn. And we ask for your heart, Lord. We ask for your presence. God, we just pray that there would be a renewal among your followers in every neighborhood and among your churches in every community that there would be renewed hubs of care, support, and resources for expectant mothers, for families in crisis, for all seeking healing and restoration. And we pray that you would move in our midst, Father. And as our nation tomorrow celebrates the life and leadership of Martin Luther King Jr., we thank you, Lord, for leaders like Dr. King and countless others, Lord, who seek to shed light on the deep and dark sins of racism and inequality. God, but to call your people back to your heart for justice and freedom. Because you, Lord, have flipped notions of justice around. When justice demanded that we and our sin, having fallen short of holiness, would forever be separated from you, you sent your son Jesus to receive just punishment in our place. Thank you, Lord. Help us to see and to live in your systems of justice. Help us to seek repentance, forgiveness, understanding, and reconciliation as people who are secure in the knowledge that you fully understand us and have reconciled us to yourself. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would move in power in your church, and we pray, Lord, that you would grow your church to continue to be a place where the vulnerable find refuge and safety, and your church would be a place where your justice and your mercy reign, and all of your people worship you in unity for your glory. Amen. Good morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Mike and I serve at our West Chicago campus. As we grow in our faith, that process of discipleship happens in relationships. And one of the best ways to connect is in a group. Right now, groups are launching at all of our campuses. There are online and in-person options and groups that meet at just about every day and time of the week. You can go online to find a group that's right for you at wheatonbible.org groups. If you're not sure where to start, life groups that begin with a rooted experience is a great option to explore. Over the 10-week rooted journey, your group will develop lasting connections and build a common foundation. You'll be discussing questions like, how does God speak to us? 
Where is God in the midst of suffering, and how can I make the most of my life? Rooted groups also complete a serve experience together. At the end of your 10 weeks together, we gather to recognize all God has done in our lives through a special time of celebration. Get connected this year in a group. Our annual All Church Business Meeting is coming up on January 31st, hosted at our West Chicago campus. At the meeting, members will approve our 2021 Ministry Financial Plan and vote to confirm elder nominees. This year, you'll need to register to attend to help with our COVID precautions. You can get the details, elder nominee bios, and absentee ballot information online at wheatonbible.org slash annual meeting. Everyone is welcome to attend, but please register ahead of time. Well, that's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend with us, and we hope you have an amazing week. We are in a series on the final hours of Jesus' life, specifically the last few hours of Jesus with his disciples. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It begins in John 13 and goes through John 17. And today I want to focus on the front end of John 14, but I want to give you the context. Now we've all had difficult nights. Children have nightmares. Older adults have a lot of pain. And in between, there's sleeplessness and there's anxiety and there's grief and there's other things. And sometimes we just can't shut our minds off and everything seems worse at night. But this night, the night that forms these chapters in John was one of the worst nights in human history. You see, uh, there was a thunderstorm brewing in Jesus' heart. Category 5 hurricanes in the hearts of the disciples. It was that awful night before Jesus was crucified. It's just a few hours ahead. And because Jesus is not only fully man, but fully God, Jesus knew every detail of what was coming. So in love, and in order to create a softer landing for his disciples, to help his disciples through this torturous set of circumstances, Jesus began near the end of his earthly life to tell them that he was going to be killed, that he was going to be crucified. And then last week, as we looked at the end of John chapter 13, we see Jesus dropping two more bombs. The first is that he tells Peter, he tells all the disciples, every disciple heard Jesus, that Peter would deny him three times. The rest of the disciples, I'm sure, were thinking of Peter, what about me? And there was a gloom that set in. And then the other bomb Jesus dropped was that he was leaving them, these 11 remaining disciples. So I will be killed, I will be crucified, Peter's going to deny me, and I'm leaving you. Now, it wasn't that the disciples didn't believe in Jesus, 
they did. They had come over the years to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that Jesus was God in the flesh, and they were thrilled and that worked down deep into their soul. But their expectation for Jesus was different. And this is where you and I always get into trouble in the same way. Uh, because our expectation of what God should do and could do is often very different than what he chooses to do in love. So anyways, their expectation was that Jesus would set up a kingdom on earth. Jerusalem, the capital, the Roman occupiers vanquished and the disciples well they would rule with Jesus and their lives would suddenly get a whole lot easier but Jesus says no I'm going to be killed I'm going to be crucified Peter's going to deny me and I'm leaving and suddenly as we move from John 13 to John 14 the disciples are struggling for oxygen. Just as you and I do when God changes our plans, or as I've seen him do in my life, shatters them. And so the question we want to look at as we come out of chapter 13 is what in the world does Jesus say to comfort them, to help them? to strengthen them and to encourage them, to give them stability in a, a, a crazy, unstable environment. And he begins to unpack that in the first couple verses of John 14. So out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me as I begin reading in verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Their hearts were very troubled. This is an amazing statement of love. You believe in God, believe also in me. Note that Jesus is placing himself on equal footing with God. It's a statement by Jesus of Jesus' deity. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. You may be seated Jesus speaks into their trouble, offering a promise, making a promise. It's just like what a father or a mother would do with a, a young child who wakes up screaming in the middle of the night because he or she's just had a nightmare. The parent rushes into the room uh, and says immediately, I promise you there are no monsters under your bed. Here, look, let's see. I, I promise you, you will be just fine. We're just on the other side of the wall, and if we hear you, we will come in. So go ahead and go to sleep. Go back to sleep. Tomorrow, everything is going to be fine. Now, why can a mother or a father do that? Because they know something the child doesn't know. 
They have greater understanding. They see a, a bigger picture. Jesus is doing exactly the same thing here beginning in, in verse 1. He's saying to the disciples, he's promising the disciples, even though I will no longer be with you, I will never abandon you. I'm just on the other side of the wall. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus' point is, if you believe this, if you believe this promise, notice he uses the word believe twice in verse 1. If you, you believe me, then you have found the secret sauce for remaining untroubled in trouble, calm in chaos and confusion. Now there's three parts to this promise. I will never abandon you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the first part is that you will have a new home. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at when he says, my father's house has many rooms. The word room is important here. The word room means place. It has nothing to do with space or quality. Actually, most commentators agree a better way to translate rooms is home. Jesus is talking about preparing a home for the disciples, a home for all of us who believe in Jesus. And this is fundamental because what does research today tell us? Research tells us that there are few ideas more potent than the idea of home. It's why homelessness is so devastating. It's why children who grow up in an unstable home struggle with attachment, uh, struggle with feeling settled. Little Luna is a beautiful five-year-old Latino girl. The first years of Luna's life, she bounced from house to house. 18 months ago, one of our daughters and her husband took Luna in as a foster care child. She's been with them for 18 months. On Wednesday of this week, the court in California ruled that Kyle and Eric will be able to adopt Luna, and it's a done deal. It's so cool. It even gets better because little Jaden, their African-American three-year-old who has been with them for two years, is also going to be able to be adopted by them. Boy, did we celebrate on Wednesday. It's so cool. Why? Because Luna, because Jaden will have a home now where they're wanted, where they're loved, where they can begin to heal from their early trauma. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's offering the disciples a home with him forever as a 
central, fundamental way to be calm in crises, untroubled in trouble. And the way Jesus goes about this is not exactly what we would expect. The premise is not even exactly what we would expect. But we need to appreciate, we need to understand the power of home. Because the home is the one place where you feel like you belong, where you feel accepted, where you feel safe, and where you feel uh, secure. And little Luna, little Jade never had that. It's a place of belonging, uh, of contentment, where you can relax, where you can be yourselves. And Jesus knows what's ahead for these 11. He knows how difficult their lives are going to be, how wonderfully God is going to use them. He knows that these disciples are going to spend their adult lives wandering as his apostles Preaching, teaching, healing, uh, counseling, uh, uh, discipling. And he knows that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to use them greatly. And it will be these troubled men who right now aren't sure which way is up are going to be the very ones the Spirit uses to build the church of Jesus Christ from scratch. The church of Jesus Christ that will change Western civilization forever. And Jesus, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, knows that they will face rejection, racism, disagreement, disdain, torture, and martyrdom. Because they will be committed to completing their assignments for him in the face, in the face of overwhelming stress. Jesus here does not promise, note, he does not promise that you will live a problem-free life. They won't. You and I won't either. Instead, Jesus promises as as a fundamental to their identity, you have a home uh, that I am taking to you too. Now, do you see what this means for us today? Uh, You may have a beautiful townhouse, a beautiful apartment, a beautiful home. You may have great views. You may love the decorating, all the appointments, all, all the things you've done. Uh, But that apartment, that home, those views, uh, your decorating will not satisfy your longing for belonging. It will not heal you of your anxiety or your anger or your loneliness or this sense of alienation we all have. But Jesus is saying, the home I prepare for you will. I'm preparing for you will. 
And by the way, what I find so interesting is Jesus does not say to these fumbling 11 disciples at this moment, if you get your act together, you can join me in this home. Instead, he says, because you are my disciples, this future home is guaranteed. And I can't wait to share it with you. No matter how much trouble you face in life, no matter how troubled your heart is right now, it's guaranteed. And, and so friends, what I'm saying is when you understand this promise of a, of a new home that is yours because you are a follower of Christ, uh, one day when you arrive, what will you say? We will all say almost together, this is everything I've ever wanted. And it's yours for the believing. But to look ahead and to press this into your heart in the present is a game changer. The home our kids, Kyle and Eric in Long Beach, have given to little Luna, to little Jaden, is a picture of the future home God will give us because of Jesus' promise, because of the promises of the entirety of the of Bible. And my point, and what I want you to understand, friends, is if you believe this, it's life-changing. This world is not your home. You're merely passing through. Uh, so the first piece or part of this promise and the, these uh, parts cascade one on top of another is that you will have a new home. Look at the second. Your home will be with Jesus, with Jesus in heaven. And Jesus gets at this in verse 2 when he says, my father's house has many rooms now here I'm sort of taking a detour for a moment because I want you to see how this verse begins. Here Jesus, assuming the Trinity, calls God his Father. Heaven, his Father's house. And Jesus is doing something very interesting that's easy to miss. Uh, Jesus is, is telling us, uh, if you will allow it, that the foundational thing about God isn't that he's our creator, isn't that he's our ruler, and he is those, and more, the foundational thing is he is a father. And the gospel is the good news that in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place for our sins, the moment we believe Jesus' Father becomes our Father. And the promise of the Father's house in heaven is guaranteed. What I want you to understand is being a father isn't God's day job. It's his entire life. And to the extent we understand the one who rules, the one who creates, uh, the one who oversees all the events of history and every situation in our life is a father. Our father. 
full of love, full of mercy, full of compassion. I'll come back to this. And it's when we believe this that our hearts are untroubled. And that's why Jesus begins, let not your heart be troubled. I have a solution. It has everything to do with a promise. And it's all about the security of your future. Man, may God give you the grace to enjoy this. And so the very first thing Jesus says is that the place we're going is his father's house. Now our, our father in what Jesus has done for us. Now we get to the meat of this part. Um, Jesus says, well, let me back up here and stay with this for a second. Jesus says we will be with him in heaven. And he emphasizes this in verses 2 and 3. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. That you may be with me, that you will be where I am. Now, there's a lot of different ways to talk about what's going on here, what it means to be with Christ, what it means to be where Jesus is. Um, but what I want you to understand in making these two statements you will be with me. You will be where I am. Jesus is telling us heaven is a place of love. I mean, he's talking about a relationship with us. He's talking about our presence in his life, his presence in our life. We will be with Jesus, not across town from Jesus. It's not like we bump into somebody at the grocery store. Hey, man, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a couple years. Hey, Jesus, what's up? I miss seeing you. No, no. In heaven, we will be with Jesus. And because Jesus is the definition of love, and to be a father means our father is full of compassion, Heaven, therefore, is a world of love. It's described with these descriptors about our relationship with Jesus. Because after all, it's love that makes a house a home. Now let me apply this by talking about death. What, Rob? death yeah uh, 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 this whole section is about death i mean death is on everybody's minds it's on jesus minds it's on the disciple uh, the disciples uh, that's greek for i don't know what but it is on the disciples mind and here's what jesus is saying he is saying, I don't want you to merely be untroubled by the prospect of my death. I want you to be untroubled by the prospect of your death. Because one of the greatest gifts I give to my disciples is the gift of not needing to be afraid of death. 
Because when you die, you don't leave uh, the best thing, you leave the worst thing, and therefore death next to your conversion with Christ is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And why in the world have we lost that? And why is it the best thing? Because we will immediately be with Jesus. No, no more sorrow, no more sin. D.L. Moody, the man behind the name of Moody Bible Institute in the city, Moody Radio uh, around the country, was a legendary evangelist in Chicago. And knowing he was dying, he said to the people that were huddled around him, the newspaper will say that D.L. Moody has died, but I don't want you to believe any of it because I will be more alive than ever. Do you see what Jesus is implying? I take you to be with me. You will be where I am. When you die, you don't leave the best part of life. You leave the worst. I mean, uh, the location of sin and suffering and death and anxiety and confusion and racism and hatred, and you enter into the radiance of heaven in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to understand this is a solution to, an un, to a troubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. You see, your home is not just a new home. Your home is in heaven, and you will be with Jesus. And if we embrace this, if we press it into our, our lives, this is what makes us different than everybody else as followers of Jesus Christ. Because yes, we mourn death, we mourn leaving family and friends, uncompleted assignments, and, and on and on, but we do not fear death. We can't wait to get to where we're going. So I, I want to say to you, and I say this in love, as you pass through that dark door, uh, you will go into the beauty and the light of eternity, and the first face you will see will be Jesus. Uh, when someone I knew, knew well, was dying, uh, she would say to me, you know, every day I got to figure out something to be thankful for because the thought of leaving my children is overwhelming. And then she would often add, but the moment I wake up, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Pastor Lon, as he was dying, and I would sit in his office with him, would say the, the same thing, only Lon would laugh. Over the years, uh, um, uh, people who love Jesus and uh, are uh, inches away from death or no death is coming have said uh, the same thing to me. I mean, I come in and what do I do? I, I say, man, I'm so sorry. I know how hard this is. And I've had several people cut me off and say, Rob, stop it. When I wake up, I'm going to be with Jesus. 
Man, I want you to know that. I, I, I want you to take that in. Um, and what helps here, and I want to go back to the, uh, the Trinity, we as Christians believe not in a single person God, but a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now that becomes significant in understanding heaven is a world of love. Because what the Trinity means is that throughout eternity, past, present, and future, if I, I can talk that way, the triune God has existed in a unity of infinite tenderness, incomprehensible mutual love, where they have continually poured into each other unimaginable degrees of joy and power in their love. And to properly understand creation means we understand that everything that is is an overflow of their love, just as children are an overflow of a husband and a wife. Heaven, friends, is not a stadium where God addresses us. It's not a, a, a bus ride where God takes us on a tour. It's not a classroom where Jesus lectures us. Jesus is telling us it's a home. And I don't know what we sit around a fireplace, a, a, a family room, a, a, a patio. Will we ride a star? Who, who knows? But it's our final home. And there our joy and our satisfaction will be unending and will be complete. Now this, I'm coming at this through the back door, this is exactly what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 15, there we go. Paul here is quoting Hosea, Hosea chapter 13. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Do you see what Paul is doing? Paul is mocking death. He's making fun of it. He's saying, death, uh, you've been inviscerated by Jesus. Death, you're impotent. And I wonder, can you say that about death? Uh, can you believe this promise uh, and, and take it into your, your life so that you live vertically or will you live horizontally according to your circumstances, according to your fears, according to your anxieties? And one of the biggest is the fear of death. What Jesus is promising is not just out of this world. It's game-changing. So this brings me to the third part of this promise, this promise that even though we may feel abandoned, we will never be abandoned, and the best is yet to come. And the third piece of this is your home. 
or the road to your home is through hell. Not for you, but for Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, twice Jesus says, I go. I am going and I go. Where is Jesus going? Well, he's not hopping on a plane and landing in heaven so he can oversee a massive construction project. Nor is he going to make sure uh, our bedroom is neat and tidy and we've got a toothbrush in the bathroom. When Jesus says, I am going, and he says, I go, he's talking about the cross. I'm going to die that you might have life. I mean, think about it. When Adam and Eve turned in the Garden of Eden uh, away from God, you know what one of the main consequences of their punishment was? Homelessness. Banishment from the Garden of Eden. So in this moment, Adam and Eve said no thanks and they chose to trust in their own intuition, their own inward impulses instead of God's revealed word. And we call that the fall. It means the fall into sin. And what Adam and Eve did in that moment has been the biggest battle raging in the human heart down through history. Am I going to trust God's revealed word or am I going to trust what I think, what I feel, what I happen to see uh, and in my limited understanding know is what is best. And as a result, they initiated a downward spiral of racism, of alienation, of hatred and murder. I mean, Adam and Eve's very own son, Cain, murdered his very own brother, Abel. The wages of sin is isolation. And so let me just say to you, and take this as a warning based on this passage, the more selfish you become, the more proud, and if you're successful, you've got to be really careful here. Or the more convinced you are that you have to capitulate to your inward impulses, the more alienated you will become from others and the more damage you will do to them. And this addiction to inward impulses is what's killing our culture today. It's not politics. It's the reason we're so crass. We're so full of hate. It's the reason uh, we can't uh, forgive. And it leads to spiritual and relational and psychological homelessness. And so today, because we deny the existence of a sacred order, the only thing that's ultimately left in the social order is our impulses.
how I view my identity. How I want to act out my life. Man, it's addictions, it's pornography. And it's brokenness. And I say all this because I want you to understand on the cross, Jesus took that brokenness, that alienation on himself. And he experienced the hell he didn't deserve. So you and, my, you and I might find a home with him that we don't deserve. And so Jesus says, I go. And when Jesus says, I go here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do the heavy lifting because you can't do the heavy uh, lifting. Uh, some years ago, this was a story I heard recently, a, a well-known pastor in the eastern part of the United States, this is decades ago, lost his wife, she died. And he's driving his children to their mother's funeral. And as he's been thinking for the last couple days, he's continually thinking of ways he can comfort his children. What can he say to his children? They just lost their mother. And so he's on a four-lane um, interstate, and um, he passes uh, to the left a large semi-tractor trailer, and he passes through the shadow of that truck, and it hits him. And he says to the kids, kids, did you just see that we passed through the shadow of the truck? Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be hit by a truck or by its shadow? And they said, well, uh, by the shadow. And he said, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ was hit by the truck. And when your mom died, she was hit by the shadow as she, she passed through the shadow of the valley of death. And when she came out of the shadow, she landed in the presence of Jesus forever. And she is so full of joy, given the opportunity, she would never come back. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's encouraging you as a disciple, as he's encouraging these disciples to shift to a different vantage point. To not be like the soldier uh, down in the valley in, in the trenches who can be frozen by death and discouragement because all he sees is death. But Jesus says, no, here, let not your heart be troubled. I want you to climb the hill. I want you to summit the mountain. And I want you to see that reinforcements are coming. And so you can be encouraged and so you can renew your strength. And so your heart will not be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. And take my promises here. And let them soak you like a warm and wonderful rain. Let's pray.
Father, we are so amazed at the tenderness. I'm so amazed at the tenderness of Jesus here. Uh, that instead of being uh, consumed uh, with his death, he's consumed with the fear and the trouble in the disciples' hearts. How like our tender, precious, loving Savior. Help us to see that. Capture our imagination about the depth of the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Of God's presence with us, even now. And that will go before us on into eternity.
Church, you are sent. May God bless you and his face shine on you, and may you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week.